have you on this very special day as we start a new series, as you already heard and seen, Running with the Giants. The idea of Running with the Giants really comes from the book of Hebrews, uh, the 12th chapter. Take a look. In Hebrews 12, we, hear, we see this scripture, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, now stop there, anytime you see the word therefore in the Bible, uh, basically you know that, that you're going to find out what it's there for. It's what it's there for. That's what that scripture is there for. So, so, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, obviously, therefore, there was something that happened already in Hebrews chapter 11. And in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11, we know it as the hall of fame chapter. And it's through the Hall of Fame chapter we hear about story upon story of men and women of, of incredible, bold, audacious faith and how God came through as they trusted in him and had the faith to endure uh, all kinds of opposition and obstacles. And so when we read this, we're, we're getting this on the tag. This is like the bookend of chapter 11 on all these incredible heroes in the Bible, real men, real women who, who faced it and got through on the other side. So, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, just so easily. You can just get tripped up in the stuff, in the sin of life. And instead of doing that, throw it off and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for who? us. Not the race marked out for your dad, not the race marked out for your grandma, not the race marked out for your sister. That's their race. That's your, your race is your race and you run with perseverance. And so when we see this scripture and it says the witnesses in heaven, there is just this grand stand of, of Christ followers and men and women of God that have followed him and been faithful and they are cheering you and me on as we move forward. And, and you know, if you've ever been in a big stadium, even in this room, we can hear where, where when we all apply it's like one roar versus individual voices. And if you're in a big stadium, you can hear that major roar. You don't really hear, you know, just a bunch of different voices. You just hear a mass roar. Well, think about if you were running in track and the stadium was packed with, with witnesses of Christ followers gone by and they were cheering you on, what would it be like when you were running your laps around the track that one of those men or women of faith would walk out of the grandstand and run with you? What would that be like? As they're jogging with you and you're on your, your track, you're running with perseverance, what would you ask them when they're running next to you, what would they say to you? How would they, what would they say? Hey, this is what I would encourage you to think about. This is what I would, this is what I learned in my life. When I faced obstacles, when I faced opposition, when I faced this challenge, when, when I, when I knew God personally through Jesus, you know, what would they say to you? Well, we don't have to even wonder. We can read their stories, see these uh, larger than life characters all throughout scripture, and they can speak to us even today, although they're now in that cloud of witnesses. So what I wanted to do is I wanted to start a series on Mother's Day called Running with the Giants that would talk about these giants of faith throughout scripture, but also I wanted to invite a couple of giants in my life. And so from Mother's Day to Father's Day, we're going to do this series. And today I have the privilege of a giant of faith that, that helped mold me into, you know, sorry, this is all I got so far, but molded me into who I am today. My mom is going to share a message from the word of God with you today, Karen Yancey. Pumped up, excited, excited. 
now you hear from the acorn a lot, right? You're going to hear from the tree today, okay? So, so you're going to hear from it. Now my mom, she is one of those women that was always, the moms always in the, they were in the stands cheering me on. But like, you know, if things got a little rough, we got a little, you know, frustrated at a call from the basketball ref or the, the soccer ref or the, you know, the umpire, you know, we'd be upset. And you, you could hear this, this sound across the bleachers, you know, be like Jesus out there, you know, and you're frustrated, you know, and you, you're, you're doing a slide tackle in soccer. Like, oh, be nice out there though. Be nice. You know, that's, that's my mom. But my mom was always trying to tell us, be like Jesus, be like Jesus, because he speaks to me and I know exactly what you're doing behind my back. You know, it was like scary. Like she was the Holy Spirit growing up, you know, uh, and, 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 and I didn't have time in first service. I'm going to share this story now. When I was 12 years old, three foot five, could, could, wasn't turning 13. I wasn't four foot tall when I was turning 13 years old. I, I had a huge growth hormone deficiency, had to take shots for five or six years, had extra growth hormone and, and paid thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars that, that miraculously was, 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 was given by God for us not to have to pay in the, the income that we made as a family. And, and so just want you to know, uh, everybody, that, that five years of, of taking, you know, growth hormone, this is what you get, sorry. So, so, you know, but I can bench press 492 pounds. <laughs> And I have a severe anger problem, but but no, other than no, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. But 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 uh, I was short and s- tiny and still pretty small vertically now, and 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 uh, can't talk about horizontally yet. But 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 I was just I was just small. And and uh, 13th birthday, we went to Worlds of Fun, rode all the rides all day long. Was going to choose our last ride. It was the Timber Wolf. I wonder why that's why we partially why we named it the Timber Creek Church because a Timber Wolf roller coaster. No, it's not. But Timber Timber Wolf roller coaster was a wooden like dangerous you know widow maker. Uh, roller coaster. And, and we, we were waiting in line. I wasn't tall enough to ride it in the first place, but I was spiking my hair up like this and walking, walking through the line like this, you know, to avoid the, the guys. And, and, you know, a kid named David is working. He's probably a freshman in college. And, and, and all my friends are riding and I get ready to get on the ride. My mom and dad, uh, uh, they rode and they just got, they, they got off the ride and it was me and my brother. My brother was taller than I was. He was four years younger. He's getting on the ride and the guy comes up with the stick, you know, with the ruler. He says, come here in front of everybody. I mean, the, the line was packed. We'd been waiting forever. He puts that ruler in front and, and, it, and he puts his hand in between the ruler and my head. He's like, you're too small. You, you, you can't ride. And I have to do the, the, you know, the embarrassment walk and I have to walk through the roller coaster and just look at it, you know, sometimes when we touch and, and then, and I just had to walk past it and, and, and my and, and I start, I start walking down the, 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 the deal, the, the chicken exit is what they called it back then. And, and I walked down and my mom's like, what's wrong? They didn't let me ride. What do you mean they didn't let you ride? <laughs> From be like Jesus to like, What? And as we're sitting there talking, I said, I don't care. It's just my, no, this is your birthday. This is not right. As I'm talking, this, this little girl walks by. She's up to my shoulder. She's like, that was amazing, dad. That was amazing. Boy, we lived in a different time back then, you know, 25 years ago. Because, because my mom says, excuse me, to this dad and mom. Is this your child? And she go, they go, yeah. Did they just let her ride the roller coaster? Y- yes. Can I borrow her for a minute? <laughs> And they, and here's what they said, sure. <laughs> like, who does that? Who does that? So she grabs, so she grabs, she, she, my mom grabs a girl we've never met in our lives. This little kid, like, mom, dad, you told me not to talk to strangers. And she marches up the chicken exit. And she gets up to David. 
He said, David, you just let him, and she's got me by the other hand, by the way. And I'm 13, I'm like, oh, this is so embarrassing, you know. So I'm sitting, I'm standing next to Natalie, you know, who I've never met in my life. She's like, you let Natalie ride. And Natalie's like, you know, doesn't know what's going on. She's got a lollipop in her mouth. Just, I don't know what's going and she goes, you're going to let him. Now, here's where the crowd gets involved. The crowd on the other side of the roller coaster starts saying, let him ride. Let him ride. Let him ride. And my mom's like, do you have no decency? It's his birthday. I command thee in the name of Jesus. And he didn't let me ride. So we marched all the way to the general manager's office. And my mom wasn't going to let it go. I'm like, let's just leave. She's like, you are going to ride the Timberwolf, whether you like it or not. Whether it's safe or not, bless God. So she finally talked to the manager and they gave me the choice for the rest of the day. I could either ride in the front of the line of every ride, or they would give me $5 to spend in the concession stand. And being the smart 13-year-old I was, I chose $5. And instead of buying a concession, I bought stupid sunglasses that literally said, worlds of fun, on, on, like you can't even see through them. It just said worlds of fun, but I'll tell you what, my mom had my back. She was a giant. Now, it, the faith didn't turn out to be exactly what we wanted. But you know, that's a funny story, but my mom has been willing to stand up, not just for me, but for the word of the Lord, for godly morals in our home. And I am thrilled that she, not only is she gonna share a giant of the faith, a couple giants of the faith with you, but she's a giant of the faith. Would you help me welcome on Mother's Day, my mom, Karen Yancey. I love you, mom. Happy Mother's Day. What a joy it is to be here, I think. <laughs> the story wasn't quite like that, very similar, but uh, yeah, that 13-year-old that was going to ride that roller coaster. <laughs> Happy Mother's Day. You can tell by the photo before me that I'm a blessed woman with a beautiful family. I have an incredible husband. I have six children three by birth and three by marriage. I'm so grateful for them. I have seven amazing grandchildren. I could give you many, many adjectives. Amazing, brilliant, bright, adorable, gorgeous, and it goes on and on and on. Crazy, silly, fun, smart, Love those babies. So, so blessed with the relationship we have with our grandchildren, but also blessed with the relationship that we have with our grown children, all of them serving God. And we're so, so grateful, so thankful. My husband actually had the privilege of meeting Janet first. And so he came home from Southwestern University and he walks in the door and he says, honey, I think I just met 
the, the, the spouse that we've been praying for, for Jeremy all these years. And uh, he said that she was just absolutely adorable. And uh, I got to meet her a few weeks later and I couldn't agree more. We were thrilled with uh, Jeremy's choice. However, it was a kind of humorous. Uh, a few weeks maybe after that, my husband was on the phone with Jeremy and he said, now son, I just want you to realize something. He said, if everything happens and, and goes well, that's great. But if something happens and, that, and you break it off with Janet, just know that we're going to disown you and adopt her. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, we're just teasing, but we're so very grateful that he chose her and that she chose him. We're thankful we have all four of them, Graham and Sage and Jeremy and Janet, and what a, what a joy it is to be here with them. But I have just got a random question for you. It's crazy. I want you to be honest with me. But has the question ever crossed your mind about someone that you know? I wonder if they were dropped on their head as a baby. You know, not in a demeaning way. You know, maybe just in jest, perhaps they're just a little crazy funny, a little wacky, okay? Well, I am here to set the record straight. Your pastor was dropped on his head as a baby. And it's the truth. And even though it's a bit humorous now, it was one of the most frightening moments of this young mama's life. I had taken him and I had bathed him in the kitchen sink and then I dried him off real good and then I had put him up on a towel and, and um, I was lotioning him down with baby lotion and putting his clothes on him and then wrapped him tight in a, in a little blanket. He was only two or three weeks old. He was an infant, tiny. And so he's on the counter in the kitchen. I stooped down to pick something up and as I did, Jeremy fell off that counter. When I went to scoop him up, the only word I knew to say was Jesus. Oh, Jesus, Jesus. He's crying. I'm bawling. Jesus, Jesus. A few seconds later, I get on the phone. I call my mother-in-law that was just three blocks away. And I said, could you please come and help me check Jeremy out? He fell off the counter this morning onto the linoleum kitchen floor. Would you please come and check him out? And let's see if I need to take him to the hospital. I was overwhelmed. So my mother-in-law gets there and we unwrap him, we check him out. There's no lumps or bumps or bruises or red scratches, no, no marks of any kind. And, and by that time he starts cooing and he was always such a happy baby. Thank God everything was fine. I do believe that God was in that moment and I believe that that heavy blanket helped absorb obviously the shock of him hitting that floor. But I am here to give you a disclaimer. I am here to give you a gift. Do you understand? Now, I don't know about you, but I believe that there are people outside of these walls that would crave what's in here if they knew what was in here. Crave the atmosphere of this experience. Crave the Jesus that is lifted up in this place. Crave the spiritual community that is all over this place. People engaging and laughing and connecting life on life. People want to come. Invite your friends. I can't imagine being in a church like this and not thinking of someone every week that you could invite to come with you. But now you have a disclaimer. 
because your pastor's preaching and he speaks something and he says some outlandish crazy story or something hysterically funny and you can look at your friend and you can go, you know, he was dropped on his head as a baby. <laughs> and then they will be able to re-engage and think, wow, Oh my goodness, and they, I'm telling you what, they will find and follow Jesus just like that. It will be absolutely amazing. He was dropped on his bed, on his head as a baby. But look how adorable he was as a little guy. Yeah, is that pretty sweet or what? He was already Texan before he knew he was going to be a Texan. We're so very proud of the man that he's become. The leader, so very proud of he and Janet. Love them. There are 400 silent years that span the Old and New Testament. Silence. God did not speak. God stepped back and gave Israel exactly what they wanted. You know, sometimes God will stay silent until we're ready to listen. He waited for the perfect moment and he launched a radical rescue mission that would not only redeem Israel, but you and me too. God started the redemption story with two mothers. I love it. Isn't that awesome? Trust me, I'm not a feminist. My husband wears the pants in the family. I just tell him what color to wear. Okay. But I love that God chose Women And here we are, Mother's Day, two mamas to launch this radical rescue mission. The series theme, Running with the Giants, biblical characters for us that model behaviors worth reproducing. These women, as we look through the first chapter of Luke, they will give us principles not only for behavior modification, but most importantly, heart transformation. So let's read Luke chapter 1. Zechariah the priest and his wife Elizabeth were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands. They were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. When Zechariah was on duty at the temple, an angel of the Lord appeared to him. He was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid. Your prayer has been heard. And just let me pause there for a moment. What might have the angel meant by saying your prayer has been heard. Obviously, Zechariah was a priest. He was a godly man, prayed in his home, prayed at the temple. And I just wonder if there were two specific requests that he prayed quite often. One was, when will you send the Messiah, God? When will you send the Messiah? The other was, God, would you open the womb of my wife that we might bear a son, that we might bear a child? And the angel goes on to say, your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you and many will rejoice because of his birth for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. Zechariah asks the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel, and I stand in the very presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news, and now you will be silent until the day happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. He returned home, and he and Elizabeth got busy. 
After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled, but the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zachariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, blessed are you among women and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? And Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed. I've discovered that life is not absent of challenges. In fact, I believe that untested faith is fragile. Elizabeth was pressed due to barrenness, but she wasn't crushed. Mary was perplexed, but not driven to despair. Mary and Elizabeth were no doubt persecuted by less than thoughtful observers. Can you imagine the gossip at the well? What is happening in that old couple's house? <laughs> what in the world? Here, poor Joseph. Poor Joseph. Here, Mary, a virgin. And now she's pregnant? What's up with that? And no doubt there was multiple, multiple accusations of these two women. God knew. And Mary and Elizabeth knew. They had to remain true to their identity in God. So here's the first reproducible behavior that we can replicate. You may want to write this um, on your note sheet. It says this, one identity adjustment. Identity adjustment. John Trent, he's a Christian author. He wrote the book several years ago, Two Degree Shift, How Little Things Can Change Everything. Now here, John was on a airplane, sitting on a tarmac, and the pilot comes on and says, as many of us that have traveled, we have probably heard this a time or two, I'm sorry folks, it's going to be a few minutes, there's going to be a delay, there's a mechanical issue that needs to be checked. And so John is working on this manuscript for his book, and he's thinking, oh great, you know, we're going to be delayed, and I've got this guy sitting beside me, and John, of course, is a Christian, and he's saying, I know I need to be kind and I should introduce myself. So finally, he's convicted enough that he does. So he says, hello, my name is John, and what's your name? And, and uh, they engaged a little bit, and then, he, and then John says, what do you do for a living? And he says, I'm a NASA engineer. And this is when the NASA program was uh, much bigger than what it is today. And so John said, this is absolutely amazing. 
He said, I am writing a book called Two Degree Shift, How Little Things Can Change Everything. I have always wondered what would it be like? What if a rocket was two degrees off course to the flight to the moon? What would happen? And so for you millennials, uh, this gentleman, he gets out his briefcase and he pulls out a Texas instrument calculator. So this big calculator and, and he said, hey, I can figure it out. Let's do it. And so he punches in a bunch of numbers and he goes, wow. And John says, what? What is it? And he said, well, let me figure it again just to make sure that there's uh, accuracy here. So he punches in the numbers again and he goes, this is astounding. He said, if that rocket were to lift off of the earth and only be two degrees off, it would miss the moon by over 11,000 miles. Two degrees. What John was trying to get across in this book was not a negative shift to set a new trajectory, but a positive shift. If a two degree negative shift could cause that rocket to go so far off of its trajectory, what might happen if a Christ follower or a person who is seeking a relationship with Christ would put some changes in their life, some incremental shifts in their life to set a trajectory on pleasing God and going in the right direction, what could happen? So I would like to suggest this. What if we made some incremental shifts or adjustments in our identity? I would suggest reframe the running commentary in your mind. You will rule it or it will rule you. Do you know that right now, everyone, it's the way we're hardwired. Everyone has a running commentary in your mind. Some of you are thinking, you know, okay, did I put, you know, did I turn on the, did I turn on the oven? You know, are we going to have dinner when we get home? Some of you are thinking, I sure hope they don't mess up our reservations. My son is thinking, mom, you're not as funny as you think you are. Get on with the message. <laughs> you know, so there's a running commentary in everybody's mind. It's just how we're hardwired. But I want you to know, Jesus was not stammering when he said in Matthew 22 to the Pharisees who were constantly trying to trip him up. I love the way Jesus responds to people. Don't you throughout the scripture? I just, I love it. And they say to him, so what is the greatest commandment? And without hesitation, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is likened to it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Greatest commandment. It's the vortex of scripture. He says everything hinges, everything hangs on these two commandments, loving the Lord your God and loving others the way that you love yourself. But this is what I want to mention to you. I think as a child, though it was with, with totally pure motive, I think I was taught just a sliver of heresy. And the reason I say that is we used to sing J-O-Y, J-O-Y, this is what it means. Jesus first, yourself last, others in between. Now, I like that, and it's good, and it's important that we esteem others above ourselves, obviously. But I am telling you what, Jesus was saying, we love him first, we love ourselves, and when we do that, we're going to be able to love our neighbors the way they need to be loved. 
Do you know the way that we love our neighbors or most of us? We love our neighbors by showing them kindness. We love our neighbors by being good and we extend mercy to them and grace to them and we're positive and we're supportive. We bless them. But when was the last time you were kind to yourself? I wonder what would happen if we did an experiment and you took a journal and for two weeks you had a journal and on one, one side it said negative conversation or negative things that I've said about myself and on the other side it said positive things I said about myself. In two weeks, would you come back into this church house and would you have a list of negatives that are longer than the list of positives? I would say that probably that's the truth. And, and God is saying, that's not how I intended it. I intended it for you to love me and then love yourself and then love others. Because I'm telling you, there is something that really hinges deeply on this. Because if you don't get this straight, you will in 20 years, if Jesus tarries is coming, some of you will be sitting in a counselor's chair because you never learned to love yourself. And it impacted your life in an adverse way. But you can change it this morning. You can make an incremental shift and you can decide to love yourself. You know what love is? Great definition. Seeking the highest good for another individual. You seeking the highest good. You know what I've decided to do? I'm going to stop listening to myself and start speaking to myself. I think that's what a lot of us need to do. Stop listening to ourselves and start speaking the truth over ourselves. How many of us are intimidated or insecure or we obsess over inadequacies? And you know what? This is both genders. This is not just a woman thing. Men do this too. Obsess over inadequacies. They're insecure, intimidated. Perhaps you're on a quest for perfection that has become toxic and damaging. Perhaps some in this room deal with self-sabotage that you never feel like you're good enough. Ah, God says differently. God says differently. A second thought is this, what consumes my mind controls my life. Cognitive neuroscientist Dr. Caroline Leaf, a devout follower of Jesus Christ, proposes in her book, Switch on Your Brain, that humans have the capacity to create something. Now listen to me. We can make things. We can discover things, but create? Isn't that all up to the creator? We can create something. Through research, she has discovered that the way a person thinks changes their brain. She states that those who think most positively create new neuron pathways and synapses leading to the physiological brain changes in the brain itself and an increased capacity to navigate life issues. Now, Romans 12, 2 already told us that. God through the inspired book, he tells us that we can renew our minds, but now science is saying it's true. God knew it first. Scientists is now, science is now catching up. Declare who you are, who you are, and who you are becoming. Celebrate your uniqueness. You don't have to compare yourself to anybody. No one, no one. Silence the voice of the enemy. And you know, I love what T.D. Jake says. He says, sometimes the enemy is in a me. 
We need to silence that voice. A steady diet of the enemy's voice will create paralysis by analysis. Because if you start thinking, I just can't do it, I can't do it, I can't do it, you won't do it. Forward progress is absent. We become marginalized and immobilized. And the root is negative self-talk. So Elizabeth, what did she say? How kind the Lord is. He has taken away my disgrace. And you know what disgrace means? It means shame, embarrassment, self-consciousness. Maybe some of you in this room are even dealing with one of those. Shame, disgrace, embarrassment, self-consciousness. Jesus, the Holy Spirit is in this room. And he wants to free you of that today. We, we sang, wasn't this a powerful worship time together today? The freedom that we have in Jesus Christ. In him we live and move and have our being. So Elizabeth said, how kind the Lord is. He's taken away my disgrace. So what is the application? We speak truth over the present by exercising diligence to declare God's perspective about you. Not your perspective, God's perspective. So we accept our identity in him. And what did Mary say? He took notice of this lowly, ordinary, simple girl. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed. So what is the application? Speak life over the future. Do you know that all of us in the room, if we're Christ's followers, or if you are choosing even today that you think, I need that. I want this running commentary to become more positive. I need the Holy Spirit to help me to believe in who I am so that I can do what he wants me to do. I want to encourage you that we, our destiny includes positively impacting generations I may never see. Why? Because we possess all we need for life and godliness. We speak life over our children. We speak life over our grandchildren. I love grandparents camp. Now I'm exhausted when it's over, but I love it. And my husband is not allowed the week to work the week of grandparents camp. But we absolutely adore it. And some of my favorite moments are when we are speaking life over those babies from three to almost 16 years of age. I can't believe it. I am too young to have a 16-year-old grandchild. I had better get an amen in here. Okay, thank you so much. So, I will say, I love the fact that we have those babies by ourselves and that we can pour into them. I love devotion time. You know, this last grandparents camp this past summer, it was so precious one night. I mean, God came into the room. It was so precious. And those little ones, those little children, from the youngest to the oldest begin to say, you know what, mommy, she tells me that I should make my bed and sometimes I don't and, and I know I really should make my bed. It makes my mommy sad and I think that that's sin against Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was precious. From the youngest to the oldest. Why? Because we're speaking life over them. My husband and I are calling things out. You know, you can call things out. I love it when I can call things out of my grandbabies. I love it when I see their parents pouring love into them. We've got six children who are the best parents on the planet. I just love, I know there's other parents. I know you believe the same thing, but I'm the one speaking. I've got the mic. 
you know, I've got the six most beautiful, incredible children that have produced the most beautiful, incredible grandchildren. I'm so very proud of them. Secondly, intentional lift. It's obvious the love these women have for each other. Mary and Elizabeth were sharing authentic life on life, shoulder to shoulder on their unique journeys. Now remember, they were in their each lane. Each of them had their own lane that they were in, but they lifted each other's spirit when, we, when they were together. So under intentional lift, we need friends who will help us keep the story fresh. We need friends who will help keep the story fresh. How many of you have ever shared your testimony publicly? Would you just raise your hand if you shared your testimony publicly or maybe with a friend? Many of you have, several of you haven't. And I would just encourage you, those of you that have a life-giving relationship with Jesus Christ, to do something similar to what I used to do when I was women's director for the state of Kansas. I would pull in teams before we would go on missions trips, and we would have a six to eight hour day of orientation. We would pack tubs of supplies. We would um, practice. If we were doing any kind of children's programs, we would practice skits, et cetera. It was just a full day of getting ready for that trip six to eight weeks later. And of course, we definitely had a lot of prayer time together. But one thing that I would have them do, I would do a devotion, and then I would say, okay, gals, I want you to write out. I would provide paper and pen. I want you to write out your testimony. And uh, then after they wrote it out, I'd give them 10 to 15 minutes. And then I'd say, I want you to wad it up. They would wad it up. And then I'd say, I want you to write it again. And this time, I want you to write it. I want you to write it so that it's precise and concise and that you really remember this is what God did in my life. Because on the mission field, girls, we're going to need three to five minutes. You know, you're not going to have 10, 15 minutes. You've got to narrow it down almost to an elevator speech. And so I need for you to do that. Then I want you to share it each other. And I want you to, to um, really affirm each other and your, the testimonies that you're sharing. And if there's something that you can offer to your friend, offer it. Let's make it the best we can be because on the mission field, there's going to be a time that I'm simply as the leader, I'm going to look at you and I'm going to say, you're up. Because there are times that the missionary would put, uh, speak into my ear and say, Karen, sorry, five-minute delay. Something's, uh, you know, went wrong with the music. You know, so, so I'm saying, okay, hey, Stacia, you're up. And these gals, they would get up and they would have the most incredible testimonies of what God had done in their life. And it was so life-giving. It was an intentional lift for the entire team. But also, I could still see the crowds of gypsy women sitting out there listening. I mean, they were so engaged in listening to these stories of how women were healed, to these stories of how women had dysfunction in their homes, and listen to how God had done something amazing, how God had answered prayer, and how God was their hope. And it was so beautiful. It was an intentional lift. Why? Because oftentimes on the mission field, some of these people think that Americans have no problems. And so all of a sudden, these women were immediately identifying with these precious, beautiful gypsy women. And it was so, so sweet because these gypsy women, they, they then, when, they wouldn't even hardly let us out because they loved us so much because it was like, you have problems too? And you have a God, and you have a God 
that has helped you with those problems. We, we want that God in our life. It was powerful. Keep the story fresh. How do you do that? You keep getting together. You ask each other, what have you been reading in the word lately? What is God speaking to you lately? Then I'd also suggest another element of intentional lift is relational accountability. Accountability puts teeth into relationships. Every one of us in the room need unfiltered friends. We need friends that will be confidential about what we are sharing with them. It may be only two or three people in your life, but you need to choose them wisely. And I would suggest um, maybe do what I do, or, or you can come up with the way that you choose to do it. But I will tell you, when I meet with women in ministry leadership, I will typically draw just an imaginary circle and I will say to them, this is a space for grace. Anything that you say here will go nowhere. It will go nowhere. It will go, with, it will go to the grave with me unless you give me permission to share it with my husband so we can pray with you. Otherwise, if you don't want me to share it with my husband, it will remain right here and, and, and go to the grave with me. This is how confidentiality should be shared. I was wounded. I was broken as a 16-year-old when at an altar, I shared something very private about my family that needed prayer. And the next day, four different people from that church called my mom and dad. I was broken. I thought I could trust that person. We need people in our lives that we can trust and will hold uh, accountable. It's unfiltered. It's a space for grace and it's a space for intentional lift. What has God been speaking to you? And as you start doing that, it is amazing how encouraged you will be. And then finally, we are carriers of hope. We are carriers of hope. Second Corinthians 4, 7 states, we have precious treasure in perishable containers. First Peter 3, 15 says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope you have. Mary and Elizabeth were actively engaged in what God was doing. They weren't simply passive observers. They were engaged. Hope was dwelling in Mary and Elizabeth. Mary said, I am the Lord's servant, and may whatever you say about me come true. Mary embraced hope through obedience. She chose to operate in the yes. I believe we need to say yes to God more often. Elizabeth, what an honor it is that the mother of my Lord should visit me. She embraced hope through discernment. She discerned that Mary was carrying the Messiah. We are carriers of hope. Do you know that if you're a Christ follower, you have a God living inside of you? Now remember, you're not God. You have a God living inside of you. And you are a carrier of hope. And I'll end with this story. My husband and I, when we left uh, the pastorate to go to the network office, we had made a determination that we would not be professional clerics because what can happen is as you are removed, like even our son Jeremy, though he gets to um, uh, engage the loss and engage people outside these four walls. In fact, I love the way your church is so intentional about getting beyond the four walls and connecting with people. I'm so proud of our Janet who just went through this leadership, a uh, community leadership. I forgive me for not knowing what the exact name was, but here she is getting into places where maybe she wouldn't be able to without this certification that she just recently received, getting into the community so that we as carriers of hope can share the hope that resides within us. Beautiful. We were 
decided we weren't going to do that because uh, we weren't going to just hide our, our, our faith. We wanted to make sure that we were still connecting with people. And so as pastors, you're typically dealing with people in the church, people who are already saved, but thank God they are intentional about getting out and they're wonderful examples to the rest of the staff of getting out beyond these four walls. But with my husband and I, Terry and I in the network office, we have to be really, really intentional because we're mainly dealing with ministers and what's going on in their lives and crisis situations. And so we have to be very uh, careful and, and uh, make sure that our best efforts are given to those people in ministry leadership. However, we also need to make sure that we are intentional in sharing Jesus with those that are lost. We had an empty house that was sitting beside us and we began to pray, God, would you bring someone that doesn't know you, that we could be a witness for you, that we could share the hope of Jesus Christ with them. And guess what? God answers prayer. He did. God loves for us to be able to share hope with others. Dean and Margarita and Tony were the family that moved in. The day that they moved in, I just slipped over and I said, you know what? I'd love to cook a homemade meal for you so that you could come over. And at some time, I, I would just come over, knock on the door, see if you're at a place where you could take a break, come over, eat with us, a nice warm meal. You don't have to participate in cleanup, 15, 20 minutes, you're out the door and you're back to unpacking. But I'd just like to do that for you. Would that be okay? And they said, wow, that's kind. Yeah, we'd love to do that. When our head, you know, we're thinking, remember Romans 2, 4, his acts of kindness leads to repentance. And so we didn't know if they were saved or not. In that first 15 to 20 minute conversation over dinner, we discovered that one had come from an Episcopalian faith and one had come from a Methodist faith. There are all kinds of Methodist people that are saved. There's all kinds of Episcopalian people that are saved, but they were not. We could tell in that first 20 minutes that they were not believers in Christ. And so over a series of months, we began to do acts of kindness. Just when my husband was mowing the lawn, he would mow theirs too. My, when the boy, when uh, Jared, Jeremy was in university at that time, but when Jared was home, he would help his dad at times rake the yard and rake Dean and Margarita's yard. When I was baking cookies, I would bake extra cookies and take a plate of cookies over to Margarita. We were developing this relationship through acts of kindness. And we wanted to show the love of Jesus in practical ways. There came a Saturday... Uh, Jeremy and, or pardon me, Jeremy was gone, but uh, Janet, <laughs> Janet was gone too, uh, but um, Jared and Lacey and, um, and, and Terry and I, we were, you know, I've got such, I've got limited time. My son has put a time limit on me, and so I'm trying to share this story as fast as I can. And so, uh, <laughs> the first time in his life that he has been in charge of me, the first time, <laughs> just teasing. So, it's so precious. On a Saturday, we were out playing on the concrete on the driveway, uh, the four of us, and Dean and Margarita stepped over and they began to just share broken hearts and it was primarily because Tony was rebelling they were broken and so it just happened that my husband was not going to be traveling the next day and I said hey would you guys like to come to church with us in the morning we would love to invite you to come to to the church that the kids and I attended at the time my husband was out traveling all the time and so 
They said, yeah, we, we would. I said, well, we have not, at nine o'clock, it was Sunday school back in the day. And then we have a, a 10 o'clock worship service. Would you, would you want to come to Sunday school? You know, it's interactive, but you don't have to. Would you like to just come to worship service? Yeah, worship service sounds good. Okay. I said, I'll meet you at, uh, at the door and my husband will save us seats. And smart man, smart man. He didn't, he didn't save seats too far in the back where there's too many, where there's some distractions sometimes. But he, and he didn't get them too close so they were nervous, but just like five, six rows back, you know, smart man. And, um, and so as soon as Margarita and Dean came to the um, worship uh, service there at Bethel Life Center, it was so fascinating to me. As soon as Margarita stepped her foot over the threshold of that church, she began to cry. And you know, I've thought many times how we can sometimes take for granted the presence of God that people feel when they walk into the house of God. And you know what can happen sometimes is we're so engaged, we're so excited to see everybody, and we know that God is here. We brought God with us, right? And He was already here, and we brought Him with us, you know. And, and so we understand all of that, but people who don't have a deep relationship with Jesus Christ or a relationship with Him at all, they don't understand that. And something happened to her when she stepped across that threshold. We went down to the... Um, the seats where my husband had saved and, and the people were so gracious. They were kind, they were connecting, they were engaging. They were uh, just like I see happen here, which I think is lovely. I think it's wonderful that you connect with each other when people come through the doors. So important. Those first impressions are huge, huge. And so they had um, talked to them. And, and uh, so then I was praying, oh God, if this pastor has ever, has ever given an altar call, please let it be today. Oftentimes this pastor, a good man, had, would have good, ser good sermons, but oftentimes he would end the sermon with, you're dismissed. Now you're dismissed and wouldn't have opportunity to always have a um, opportunity to um, give uh, an opportunity to respond. And so I said, oh God, if there's any day. And uh, he ended up speaking a fabulous message on hope. It was on hope. I still remember it. And he then said, you know, and he, and he said some very positive things about hope and how to walk in hope and to go in hope. And, and, uh, and then he said, and you're dismissed. And I looked at my husband. I said, God's not finished. And uh, so I looked at Margarita and I simply said, Margarita, I said, the only hope, the hope that you are looking for can only be found in Jesus Christ, can only be found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Are you ready to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? And she said one of the most awkward things that I've ever been spoke to, spoken to after asking someone that question, she said, can we go to the bathroom? And I said, sure, yeah, yeah, what? But yeah, of course. And so we get up and, and uh, we're walking down the aisle. And this is when this church, particular church was running between 800 to 1,000 people. So it was really congested. And, and we're trying to squeeze our way to the bathroom. And so we're going and I'm behind her and she's leading the way. And I'm just going to people, pray, pray, pray. You know, we're headed to the restroom, pray. And I was like, so we get to the restroom. And for the first five minutes, I guarantee you, first five minutes, Margarita is crying out to Karen Yancey. She's saying, Karen, I don't know if I can make it. I don't know if I can do this thing anymore. 
This is tough. This is tough on our marriage. It's hard. We can't believe Tony. He fabricates everything. This is tough. He's getting into things that he shouldn't be. She said, I just don't know what to do anymore. And then she said, I, I know I just need God. And, and God, I, I just, I know I need, I need, I need this. And I said, Margarita, are you ready to pray a prayer of repentance and ask Jesus, the one who can give you the hope that you long for, are you ready to ask him into your heart? And she said, I am. And tears streaming down her face in the bathroom at Bethel Life Center in Wichita, Kansas. Margarita became a new believer in Jesus Christ. Why? Because of hope. How many of you in here need hope? How many of you are going through a situation where you need hope? How many of you, maybe you don't even know Jesus and you know that today is the day of it being Mother's Day. I'm telling you, if some mothers have invited you to come with them, do you know the greatest gift you could give your mom today would be to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And the greatest gift you can give to yourself, the greatest gift that you can receive is Jesus and his unconditional love for you totally unconditional if you don't bury the past the past will bury you bury it God will bury it he will cast it away so there's going to be two two questions would you bow your head please I want to first ask those of you that may not have a relationship with Jesus Christ and you're saying, this is resonating in my heart. I'm desperate for change in my life. I want to make that incremental adjustment and improvement to invite Jesus into my world, into my life, to be the leader of my life. I want to repent of my sin and ask him to forgive me and start fresh. If that's you, would you raise your hand? Would you say, that's me? That's me. I need Jesus. I need Jesus. Yes. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. And how many others would say, I just need hope. I love Jesus and I, I'm a follower of Christ, but there's just things going in my going on in my life right now where I just need some hope. How many of you would just say, I, I need some hope? Yeah. So many. He's here to give it to you. He's here. God, I thank you for these precious individuals that recognize and acknowledge their need for a living relationship with Jesus Christ. God, I thank you that you, God, know them by name and that you are freely embracing them into your family as they repent of their sin and as they recognize and acknowledge that all sin is cast away and that they can bury their past and they can start fresh anew. Will life be perfect? No, but you will journey the path with them. And God, for those that are so desirous of, of a situation that's in their life that they would love to see change in, oh God, 
Oh God, please, even today, may they hear word that something has shifted, that something has changed. God, give them hope. God, maybe they've been feeling hopeless. Give them, renew hope within them because Christ's followers carry hope because you reside in us. So God, help us to remember that. Hope. We love you, Lord. Thank you for your kindness to us. And that while we were yet sinners, you had us on your mind and you died for us.